the church in the prayer so that they're kind of eavesdropping. And he's asking the Lord for three things. He wants three things for the Thessalonian church. We saw this morning how deeply he loved it. He loved that church. He loved the people so much. And he was concerned about their spiritual welfare. welfare. He was down in Athens. He thought it was good if he could be left down there alone in the midst of that pagan culture with 30,000 idolatrous statues. He thought, yep, I'll let Silas go to Macedonia. I'm going to let Timothy go to Thessalonica. I'm so concerned about the well-being of the church. I care about whether the church lives or dies. I care if they're healthy spiritually or if they're not. I care if there's infighting. I care if there's persecution coming upon them. He just cared. He just loved the church. And I, I want to love the church like that. Do you know why I want to love the church? Because Jesus loves the church and died for the church, Ephesians chapter 5, right? Jesus loved this church, and therefore, since I love Jesus, I want to love the things he loves. Why do I love lost people? Not Because Jesus loves lost people. Why, why do I love you? Because Jesus loves you, and that's the whole reason why we do it. The more that we love Jesus, the more I love the church, the more I love people. If I find that, you know what, my affection and devotion towards the Lord has waned, well, then my affection for the church has waned and my affection for the lost has waned. And, and pretty soon, the only thing I care about is myself. So Paul is very concerned. And he now, this is going to be the end of the introduction, believe it or not, a three-chapter introduction for Thessalonians. He's just encouraging them and praising them and building them up one praise after another for three chapters. And then the last two chapters, chapters four and five, he's then going to kind of fix some things. He's going to clarify and fix and help them in their daily life. So what we've been getting is the example of the Thessalonians, the example of Paul, the good things that this church is made up of. And tonight, here is the climax, beginning in verse 9 and 10. Let's pray. Father, as we put our attention now to the holy word of God, we believe that this, now having been written for some 2,000 years, Uh, is profitable for us. It's supposed to teach us something. It's supposed to rebuke us and correct us. It is supposed to train us for righteousness. This text is supposed to equip us for every good work. Tonight, maybe, will focus us. It will put our attention on priorities and attitudes and actions, things that we do that will come directly in line with your will for our life. We want to do what you want us to do. So tonight we're being revealed by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God three things that you want from us. And I pray that we wholeheartedly will chase them. We will pursue them with all of our strength and all of our soul and all of our might, all of our mind. And to that, may Jesus Christ be praised. Amen. Amen. All right, three things that Paul says, listen, Lord, if I could ask for three things, it's not this. It's not a big, juicy bank account. It's not fantastic fellowships and picnics, although those are all great things. He's really concerned in these three areas. Verse 9, For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God? Night and day, verse 10, praying exceedingly. And here's his prayer. That we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Number one, Paul wants the church and he's begging God for this, to have a faith that matures, a maturing faith, a faith that's growing more and more mature as the day goes. Now, we're going to talk about that right now, verse 10. He's spending night and day. I don't think it's like talking about hours that, he's, that he spends praying. I think the idea of night and day, continually. 
While he's in Berea, while he's in the ship going down to Athens, while he's in Athens, while he's going over to Corinth, you know what's going on in his heart? He's thinking all the time. Every, whenever it comes to mind, he's thinking, oh, the Thessalonians, oh, I pray that their faith would mature. I, faith, I pray that whatever's lacking in their faith could be added into it so they would have a solid, stable base. That's what he wants. So night and day, he's praying exceedingly, fervently, passionately. Listen. Sometimes our prayer life is so weak and anemic. Sometimes we just pray for the food and that's all we ever get to do. Or thank you for this day. Um, clean up anything and forgive anything I did today and amen, go to bed. You know. But I think he really would think of Aristarchus, Secundus, Demas, Gaius. Remember all the people in the Thessalonian church? He's thinking about families, Aristarchus's wife, what's going on with her and the work that she's doing in the political system. And he's, and he's thinking... Lord, let their faith be steadfast. Let their faith grow and enlarge and increase and abound. Now, here's what this doesn't mean. It does not mean you've got to believe harder. It's like, oh, I just have to believe a little harder. I just need to believe in Jesus a little bit more than I'm believing. It's not how much you believe. Either you believe or you don't, right? You either believe or you don't. The idea of perfecting your faith, faith is this. Faith is the ability to trust. When we, when we have faith in Jesus, we're trusting him. So when I was born again, some 23 years ago, October 1st, 1993, all I knew really under, and understood was that Jesus died for my sins and rose again. And the object of my faith was in my Savior, and I was completely and fully saved. And I believed the hardest and the most I ever could because it's simply believe. Either you believe or you don't. But what was lacking in my faith was all the knowledge and understanding of who God is and what he's doing. That was completely lacking. I knew one historical event the event of the cross that we're remembering tonight in the bread and the cup. But what I needed was I needed people to come along in my life and perfect, mature the faith that I was lacking. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if I want to increase my faith or perfect my faith, what must I increase? My knowledge of the word of God. And I think, I don't know, this is the only church I've known except for a little bit of time when I was down at the seminary and I was in a Baptist church down there, and then I grew up in a Lutheran church. Really, this is the only church as a believer that I have been in, and, and I've actually been either the youth pastor or the pastor, most of it. So I don't know what's going on out there in other churches, but we need to be a church where the Word of God is being taught in its fullness, where you can walk away and you can say, oh, I understand the story of Job now. It's not just about his losses, but it's about his friends and his friends' attack. Who are they? What were they saying? What was their, what was their philosophy? What's God's truth? And, and then we understand and walk away from the book of Job like, wow, Isaiah, 60 years of ministry? We should know. What was Isaiah's message all about? And how does it apply to the church age today? He spoke to about a whole different generation, and they were Jewish and gave them different promises. But how do we incorporate that in our life today? We should walk away from the book of Isaiah with greater understanding of the millennial kingdom and the, the reign of Jesus Christ and our purpose and plan in it. I mean, all of that stuff shouldn't be lacking. Now, but what, what most people get a, you know, a, a short message that you can't hardly even find in the pages of Scripture. I don't know. Maybe that's true. I, that's what I hear. People will say, well, we just don't hear a lot of expository teaching of like a whole book and who, was, who, did, who wrote it? Why did he write it? What was going on? What are the people in the church? What were they like? You know, so I hope you have a greater understanding of Galatia and what was going on and the attack of the gospel on those churches and how Paul responded. 
See, this is what Paul wanted to do. He left Thessalonica in such a hurry. He left them with just a small, small foundation of truth. It was enough for salvation, but he wanted to come back and see them face to face and enlarge that foundation because the larger the foundation, the greater trust, the larger faith, the more confidence you have in the Lord. True? So let me ask you, how do you know if your faith is growing right now? Let me give you some things that I think are evidences that your faith is growing. Number one, you have greater knowledge of the word of God. Now, okay, not just knowledge, but knowledge of God through the word of God. That you really understand why the flood, why the flood of Noah, why rescue eight people on a boat with animals? Why destroy the world with the flood? Why call Israel out of all the nations? Why have judges? Why have kings? Why do the prophets need to come and preach? Why did Jesus come? Why the Gospels? I mean, we should have a greater understanding and an increased knowledge of all of these parts of Scripture. We should know the minor prophets. Hosea. That day, Hosea gets up, and he was walking through the marketplace, and he sees doves flitting around, and he says, hey, those doves are a picture of the gospel and God's work in the nations Israel and Judah. Then he sees a, a baker with some bread on a hot oven, and he says, oh, this reminds me of, G- of the Lord and what he's doing. And he's, remember, at the end of the day, when Hosea's been preaching, after going through the marketplace and picking one thing after another, what does he end up seeing? Remember when I preached this? Remember I preached through the book of Hosea? Do you remember what he sees? He sees archers in a field, practicing archery. And he sees that they're missing the target. And what does he say? Israel, you have missed the target of holiness. You need a savior. I mean, see, we in the church age, we should understand Hosea. Joel, we should understand Joel. There's a, fa- there's a huge locust plague that comes and strip every green grass, every tree leaf, every branch bark, completely stripped. And then because there's no greenery, Everything is erupting in fire. So you've got trees burning, houses burning. You've got no vegetation. Animals are dying. Babies are dying because they don't have food or anything to eat or drink. And Joel's like, he stands up and he says, listen, you guys, we deserve this. But you think this is bad? There's an army coming from the north. It's not an army of bugs to eat the trees. It's an army of men, and they're going to take your children and kill them, and they'll take you into captivity. Repent. And the people say, forget it. Then Joel says, no. It's not just an army of bugs that's come. It's not an army of men that's coming. It's the Lord from heaven. He's coming down, and he's going to set foot and make in the valley of Jehoshaphat a gigantic judging of the human race. And there you'll be consigned to eternal death, or there you'll, go, you'll enter the kingdom. What a message Joel has. We need to know these things. We need to spend time in the Bible. And then, we're, see, the, the more that I've studied the Bible, the greater I understand God, Listen, try to understand an infinite God. I mean, he's infinite, and what I understand about him is like this much, but it's getting more and more every day. And then I'm like, I'm just delighting in the Lord. Oh, Lord, thank you for Joel. Thank you for a man who could stand up in a wicked generation and call them to repentance. Let me be like Joel. So when I meet somebody who's Buddhist or, or, is, or, or, a, or a Muslim, that I have the courage to say, thus says the Lord, like the prophets. Do you see what I'm saying? So Paul's like, I'm really concerned about your faith. Yes, I know you're, you have salvation, but I want you to grow. I want to be there to perfect what's lacking in your faith. You're missing some things, and I want to be there to fill the gap. Boy, that's my prayer as your pastor. I want you to, to grow and fill the gap of your knowledge. Look at the second thing that he says. Verse 11, now may our God and Father himself, I love this, when he prays, 
He puts God equal with Jesus Christ. They are equal. They are fully God. You need to go against any Jehovah's Witness that would say otherwise. And I've met and spoken to many Jehovah's Witnesses. I have one that comes here often. <laughs> Whenever she sees, uh, maybe sees me outside she, and she's driving by, she would stop and she would tell me that Jesus is an angel created of God and he is not God and he didn't do anything for us. And, you know, uh, oh, and I, and I just, no, Jesus is God. Paul here says, and may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ equal. By the way, the himself is singular pronoun. We don't have that in English, but in the Greek, it's a singular pronoun, meaning who's the himself? Like if I were to say there's a bunch of guys together and I were to say himself, that's like for in the English, one person. But in this case, both God the Father and Jesus Christ are one, singular pronoun. It's kind of neat. The Trinity is right here in this verse in a special way. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. The word direct means to remove any stumbling, to remove any of Satan's snares that Paul has had obstacles to get back. He wants no obstacles. He wants to get back to Thessalonica face-to-face to perfect what's lacking in their faith. And now look at verse 12. And may the Lord, here's your second point, make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. You know the second thing Paul really wanted? Not only a faith that matured, that would be maturing, but he wanted love that would abound. Love that would abound. He wants the church to grow in knowledge and understanding and trust and confidence in the Lord. And by the way, I didn't even give you all the things that would show you that your faith is increasing. Knowledge of God is just one of them. It's trust in his confidence in him. It's trust in his sovereignty. It's joy in trials. There's so many things that the Lord would show that our faith is growing. He wants your love to abound. I think our church is loving. We have a very loving church, a very serving church. You can't stop there. You've got to abound in it. You've got to exceed in it. We've got to go above and beyond. Tell you what, the smallest act that you do to somebody, you have no idea the repercussions that would have. You just don't understand. The other day, Melissa and I had to make a difficult call, and it just, but we wanted to do it with an act of kindness, and, we, and, and so we kind of just, we thought, yeah, let's do it, because we know, we know just a simple act of kindness to a stranger just goes huge. It just, it goes completely. And, and we did. And sure enough, the response was, wow, we, we can't believe that's quite a church here at Faith Baptist that would have such, um, such love that would abound. But who does the love abound for? Two groups. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another. That's fellowship within the body. We've got to love one another and care for one another. And to all, who's the all? If the one another is the people in the church, then the all is the lost. How do we love the lost? You love Jesus. See, the more faith you have, the, the, the greater knowledge of God, the greater faith you have, because faith comes by, knowledge, by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The greater faith that I have in the Lord, the more I have his heart. And since he loves the lost, then I love the lost. And I can find when I'm really walking with the Lord and close to the Lord and loving him and cherishing him in his word, when I'm driving down the street, I'm thinking about people that are lost and going to hell. It's just, it provokes my spirit. I just, I get a heavy spirit as I think about all the people that are driving by lost and hopeless in this world. And that's what we need to increase and abound. Our love to one another and our love to the last. Let me ask you, how do you know if your love is abounding? 
Here's some ways, and I'll try to give you more than one, some ways that you know that your love is abounding. Number one, you are less self-centered. Then you know that your love is increasing and abounding. You're thinking less of yourself, and you're thinking more of others. Makes sense, doesn't it? You walk into church, you're not thinking about, what do I get out of this? Is this going to appeal to me? Is this going to make me happy? Is this going to satisfy me? You're looking at, what can I do for somebody else? Who can I sit by? Who can I encourage? Who can I strengthen? Who can I pray for? Listen, there's a thousand ways that we can minister one to another. So you know your love is abounding if you are less self-centered. I also think if you're more generous in your giving. I find when I'm less loving, I'm less likely to give. When I'm more loving, I tend to give more out of abundance, right? Oh, just even out of poverty, you just tend to give more. So I think even our giving reflects who we really, if we're really loving others or, or, or loving ourselves. Um, I think if you're increasing in love for one another and to all the world, you really do have a sensitivity to the last. You're willing to give the gospel to those who are in darkness. Because you really, if you are be, becoming more evangelistic, your love is increasing and abounding. So I think there's just some very practical things there, right? Number one, your faith wants to increase and mature. Secondly, Paul says, oh, I just want your love to increase and abound for everyone in the church family and to all the last. And then he gives himself as an example, just as we do to you. When he came to Thessalonica, how many were saved? None. So he loved the last. He preached the gospel. They got saved. And now he loves the saved. So he was just saying, this is the example that I've laid before you, to love and increase your, your love both for the church, but also for everybody. But the third thing is verse 13. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. The third thing that Paul wants for the church, that I want for the church, is that your holiness might be established. I want your faith to grow. I want your faith to be massive. Not that you believe harder, but that you have a greater understanding of God and his mercy and his justice and his sovereign purpose. And thereby, because you have such great faith, then you have such great love. And your love will increase and abound for one another, less self-centeredness, less demanding of, of self and our ways and more of others. But then it's going to result in holy behavior. And Paul says, listen, I want your holiness established now Continuing on until Jesus Christ returns at his coming. So you know what I really want? A holy church. A blameless church. A church that's thinking right, living right, speaking right. That's what we want. We want a holy church. Is it possible? Absolutely it is. We're not going to be perfect but we can be growing in our faith, growing in our love, and growing in holiness. We can become a more holy, consecrated, and dedicated church to the Lord. We really can be. And it's going to be each individual's responsibility. So, blameless in holiness, before our God and Father, so in his sight. So I'm always reminded of that. When I'm tempted to sin, I'm always reminded he's watching. He's looking at me. He's observing me. Not only that, but the heavenly, the angels are. They're wanting to see God's manifold wisdom being played out in the church. And so 
you know, I want to be aware of my life and my testimony before others. He wants God to establish their hearts, blameless in holiness, before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. I think, I think the with all his saints comes with the holiness. I think we want to establish our holiness with all the saints at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It could be the Lord Jesus Christ coming with the dead saints that are resurrected at the rapture, but I don't know. I think more in line with the proper meaning would be that our holy lives, in combined with all the saints' holy lives, established before the Lord when he comes back. So each, each chapter has, at the end of the chapter, a verse about the, second, about the rapture, about the Lord's coming. So remember, 1 Thessalonians 1, they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and they were waiting for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. In chapter 2, Paul says, You Thessalonians are my hope, my joy, my, joy, my crown of rejoicing. It is even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. So the Thessalonians were waiting for the coming of Jesus. Paul was excited about seeing them physically. That would be his reward, to see them physically when Jesus came back. And Paul wants them holy, standing in holiness when Jesus comes back. I always, I've said this many times, but you know how John says it? Anybody who is waiting for the return of Christ does what to their hearts? Purifies their hearts. If you're expecting his coming, you purify your heart. And an example as a school teacher, rarely now these days do I ever leave my room, un- I can't leave my room unattended. But once in a great while, I've had to like go and get a, something out of the printer or the copy machine, you know, especially if it's an older group of kids. And I would say, I will be right back. And again, I, do, I can't do this anymore because you come back and the room would be destroyed. But there was a time when I could just run down the hall and quick grab a piece of paper and come back to my class. And I would tell them, I am coming right back. I'm just running down to get a piece of paper out of the printer. And I would close the door. No sooner did I close the door, what did you hear? Giggling, laughing, scurrying around. And so they, they anticipated this because I would do this all the time. Then I would grab the door and yank it open and say, I'm right here. And they'd be like, oh, sorry, Mr. Wita. And then they would sit down and settle down. And then I felt like, oh, I, I just kind of tricked them because I came back sooner than they expected. Well, now I have time to run down, but they already had figured it out that I'd be gone for about 20 seconds and they could have 20 seconds of fun. You know what? I feel sad that the church is like the schoolroom where the master has gone and he said, I'm coming right back. And now after 2,000 years, we're thinking, ah, he's not going to come back this week. He's not going to come back in July. Maybe November of this year, Lord willing, but he won't come back in July. Maybe he'll come back next year. He is going to come back, but maybe not, but probably not today, so I'm not going to worry about it. Don't you think that's kind of the attitude of the church? Who hears about the rapture and the coming of Jesus? Very, very rarely, probably. But we need to be aware that, hey, he could come back before the service ends. He could come back before tonight ends. He could come back tomorrow. We just, we need to be ready. And the anticipation of him coming purifies our life. So what are the three things? We want our faith to mature, our love to abound, and holiness to be established. And we do that because we're waiting for the Lord. We're expecting his imminent return. Father, thank you for this text and just the goals that we have that Paul prayed to to you for, for the Thessalonians. We want those same things. We want our church to grow in its faith, 
through the knowledge of the word of God and an understanding of who you are and your character and your purpose and plan, we want to have just a great confidence and faith in trusting your word because we know it. And that's going to result in an abounding and increasing love for one another and for the last. It'll stir up our evangelism. It'll stir up our service to one another. And then it will purify our life and we'll be holy. We'll be living blameless, holy lives because we're waiting for the Lord to come back. We know he could come back tonight. He could come back right now. And we want to be ready. We do not want to be ashamed. So thank you, Father, for the church family and for these goals that Paul prayed and I pray for Faith Baptist Church now. Please, Father, grow their faith, increase their love, and establish this church in holiness. To the praise, honor, and glory of Jesus. Amen.